Peace to you. Thank you for joining me for The Naked Truth. It's a weeknight, so we're going to pick up where we left off in the book, in the Old Testament, the book of 2 Kings. We've made it to chapter 5. This is our 18th book that we've gone over together now on The Naked Truth. So just in case you're keeping count. And that's how I'm cataloging them here also on this platform on Anchor. Um, that's where I'm recording it at on this podcast. I'm not sure where you're listening to me at, but wherever you're at. God bless you and thank you for joining me. So we're going to pick up with verse 1 if you're ready. 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 1. Now Naaman commanded commander of the army of the of, let's begin again. Now Naaman commander of the army of the king of Syria was great and honor was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor but a leper. So now we're introduced to a person called Naaman. Um, he's a Syrian, so letting us know he's not an Israelite, he's a foreigner. Um, and we know not just a, a foreigner, as in um, he, his cult, his uh, heritage is from Syria. Uh, I mean, his heritage is from Syria, not just someone living in Syria. We know that because this is a person Jesus is going to bring up in the New Testament, in the Gospels, when he has to bring the religious people back and let them know that uh, when he has to go off on them, when they think that because they have the right heritage, their descendants of Abraham, that that's what, that was enough to make them be considered righteous in God's eyes. This Naaman the Syrian is one of the people that Jesus brings up when he begins his ministry um, in the Gospels. Uh, so that's who we're talking about here. Um, and he's a commander, apparently, of the army of Syria, and it's giving him his praises, giving him his flowers for being a mighty man of valor. So he's powerful. He's like David, an, a warrior, so to speak. But he's also at the end of that verse, a leper, meaning he's got that disease, a communicable disease that causes him to have to socially distance, just like we've all been through recently with the uh, pandemic, um, but with a different disease. So verse two, and the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. So in some of their battles, uh, someone was taken captive as uh, from one of the battles, and she's now uh, the servant of the same Syrian we're talking about, Naaman. She, she's the servant of his wife, the girl who was taken captive was. Um, See, and presumably she's Israelite since um, it's from the land of Israel that she was taken during battle. Verse 3, then she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. So now the Israelite girl who's taken captive and a servant to the Syrian family is telling her mistress, that's the woman who's, you know, commanding her, her who's over her. She's not really an employee like a maid or a, a maid would be. Uh, um, it's basically like a slave the way it reads since she's a captive prisoner of war um, but it seems that their agreement is to this point just the same similar to the way enslaved people were treated uh, brutally held captive and totally oppressed but the day-to-day -day interactions with the people who were enslaving them weren't always violent and vicious and in some cases sick as it may seem loving and like it shows in some of the movies you've got to imagine if you're there there living with someone and preparing meals together 
not necessarily sharing them together because, you know, the skin color thing. But you're making food for people and they trust you enough to make food for them, even though you're they're holding you captive and making you work for free and trying to keep that legacy alive now for 150 plus years. Still trying to keep that legacy alive of having free labor that they kidnapped from another country uh, and holding that as their heritage. It'd be tough to believe that you're living together as family cooking in the, uh, and e eating the same food again, not together um, and not at some point going to have those kind of moments where it's um, all that matters is the fact that you're both human and not so much your skin color. It's just like in wartime, I would imagine. But uh, then at the end of the day, the realities kick back in and people go back to being people and judging each other by what they see. Um, so verse three, then she said, so, so anyway, she's still giving her mistress that good advice that she knows someplace where her husband, the Naaman, the Syrian can get some help for his leprosy. Verse four, and Naaman went in and told his master saying, thus and thus said the girl who is from Israel, I'm sorry, from the land of Israel. So now, um, word is getting to name, name word is kind of the name and that there's help for him if he's willing to take it, but it's from a foreign people in the land of Israel. That's what the girl's telling him. She's saying she knows that the prophet, the holy man in Israel can help him out with his leprosy. The same holy man we read just recently read about in the last, you know, few readings with the um, resurrections and healings and uh, feeding the multitude, a lot like the miracles of Jesus that are attributed to Jesus in the New Testament. Elisha is accredited with similar miracles in the previous chapter we read. That's who she's uh, referring to, the girl who's captive and offering the good advice. Verse 5, then the king of Israel said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. So I don't know what those, the, what those weights of those precious metals are and what the equivalent, uh, uh, what the equivalent is in modern times, but you got to imagine it's probably a lot. So he's offering what he knows is universally, at least by humans, valued for the most part, money. He's saying, take these uh, as a tribute to this holy man, this prophet, this doctor, this physician, whatever he is, take this to him and see if you can get some healing for me, is what he's, uh, uh, he's uh, ready to offer to the prophet that's recommended by the captive girl. Verse 6, then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. <laughs> so now what's happened is Naaman has heard, oh my God, there's some water for this one, excuse me. Okay, so. Well, I'm understanding Naaman is, has um, gotten the message that he can get healed of his leprosy from these people, these Israelites, from this person over there in the land of Israel. He heard it from his the Israelite servant girl. And, you know, like they think like black people. If, do you know this black person just because you're black? You think just like gay people, you know, that gay person thinking all gay people know each other, all black people know each other. The king has gone there saying, well, I've heard that this man can heal me, so I've been sent a letter in or by orders of the king that you command you to make him heal me. It's almost as if he's asking for a prescription in modern times. He's just going there for requesting whatever it is he knows 
that that holy man, that person, that physician has that can heal the leprosy, he's demanding that the king make sure he's provided it. And he's gotten the letter to go there and get it. Um, the whole faith element is what's left out of it. The whole part about that it's um, the whole faith-based thing with their uh, religion. So he's gone there with the letter, though, to go get some help. Let's see, verse 7, and it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So now the king of Israel has gotten the letter from the uh, neighboring government, neighboring kingdom, neighboring country, uh, that a delegate is being sent to them, an ambassador who's looking for this specific healing. He's looking for a cure to the COVID, for instance. He's coming to your land to get it because he's heard that somebody there has it. In this case, he's heard that somebody in the land of Israel has a cure for this leprosy. So he's sending this person, this Syrian, to you to get that healing. Uh, where is it at? Break him off because he's being sent by orders of the king. So that's what's uh, arrived in the king's face. And the king is wondering, well, what's up with this? What is, who does he think I am that I'm God, that I can cause healings like that? He's like, he's just really looking for a reason to start a fight, a war. Verse 8, so it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let me let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So now Elisha, that's the prophet who you know, was Elijah's sort of apprentice who's taken his, uh, his place now since he's blown away, been raptured away, so to speak. Elijah's gone. Elisha is who's here now. And he's picked up the mantle doing it literally and doing this similar miracles. Um, so that's who we're talking about here. And strangely enough, he doesn't have a book named after him in the Bible, even though he's a, or Elijah, and even though they're both huge figures and especially Elijah in the Bible, but neither one have a book named after them um, in the Bible anyway. There may be other books that didn't make it to the Bible um, that are named after them. There just aren't any in the Bible. Um, so anyway, he's asking him why he tears clothes. What's he upset about? Because that whole tearing the clothes thing is... Uh, just a dramatic gesture that people would do when they're outraged and upset, like we read about in the um, when they questioned Jesus during the trials before his crucifixion. And they ask him, is he the son of God? And they demand that he tells them. And he tells them, yes, you're right, I am. I'm paraphrasing, tells them hereafter, you'll see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven, letting us know a couple of things that that's uh, he's saying, yes, that was him. And then they ripped their, they tore their clothes and outraged that he was uh, admitting that he is who they were accusing him of being, the son of God. Um, but also letting us know that that's how the second coming, as we think of it, will be. Not people getting swept swept up in the clouds. That's not how Jesus describes the second coming. That's how another religion after Christianity describes the second coming as a rapture. Catholicism, Paul, or not just Catholicism, but Paul, aka Saul, whichever you prefer, that's associated with that religion, which is also in the Bible and says it's Christian, but it doesn't match up with what Jesus preaches and teaches at all. The red letters, again, like we've said again and again, the red letters are only in those six books. The rest of the books are other teachings of other people about other religions for the most part. 
So anyway, verse 9, Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. So now um, Elijah told him, well, don't tear your clothes, don't be upset. Let him know to come on to me because I can't. So then that way it'll be proof to him, a testimony to him, basically, that there is a God in the world and the God in the world is in touch with the prophet in Israel is what um, Elisha is um, has sent to Naaman, the Syrian, and now Naaman has made it to Elisha's house. Verse 10, and Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. So um, now there's a couple of things here. Elisha has sent for the Syrian, summoned him basically, not gone to him uh, and met him face to face, like humbling himself, but instead fetching him like you would a servant. He's made the Syrian show up to him, uh, show up to where he is and uh, go from one place to another to try and get what it is he's looking for and still not gone ahead and giving him the courtesy of meeting him face to face. It'd be like a foreign dignitary going to, coming to America or going to another country and then not being recognized by the, um, the officials there. So that's what's happened now. But Elisha hasn't, um, you know, just ignored him. He's let him know what he needs to do to get his healing. And it sounds pretty basic that he just has to go for a swim seven times in the Jordan River. Um, but let's see how Naaman takes that. Verse 11, but Naaman became furious and went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. So Naaman's uh, ticked off. He's telling himself he just knew that when he got there, Elisha was going to put on a show for him and um, sort of wave a wand and do a rain dance and cast a spell and open the heavens and cause the healing to happen for him. He's um, ticked off that it's not something grand and fabulous. It's something so basic, telling him to go for a swim and not even having the uh, uh, humility or maybe not humility, not even honoring him with the respect he probably feels he deserves as a Syrian dignitary in his land by coming to him face to face. He's not pleased with the response that uh, Elisha sent to him in uh, in the way, that, in his prescription, basically, for how to get healed of his leprosy. Um, and leprosy, basically, is a skin disease. I mean, it takes many different forms, but um, the way it uh, would show up and many times would be uh, like a left bird, the animal, with those spots. And so it would plague people and it'd be contagious and people would have to socially distance and all of that. So um, it's something people could see you have. It's not like you could conceal it so easily like um, many other disabilities. So anyway, he's not pleased with the prescription. Um, and he's turned and left, ticked off, verse 12. Um, what's he saying, though? Uh, verse 12, are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. So he's um he's turned to I guess xenophobia. 
thinking, well, what makes him think that the waters of this Jordan River, just because there is really waters more healing than the fabulous waters of my own people, my own land, the Abana and the Farfar in the areas of, in the country of Syria. That's where Damascus is the same Syria in modern times. So he's not pleased and he's um, left. He's angry. Verse 13, and his servants came near and spoke to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean? So now the voice of reason steps in in his servants, in the Syrian servants. They're telling him, look, man, if they told you to go to the ends of the earth to get relieved from your pain, your suffering, your leprosy, you would have did it because you want the relief. How much more happy should you be in that he's telling you all you have to do to be relieved, to be healed, to be delivered, to get what it is you were looking for is to go wash and be clean. So good common sense. Verse 14, so he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So it seems part of the prescription really was the unseen part, since faith wasn't a part of it initially, because he didn't have any faith in any of the religion that um, was prescribed to him, um, part of the prescription, it seems, was humbling himself. That was part of it, just humbling himself and realizing that he needs the help and someone else is able to give him something he can't get on his own and to humble himself and just take the advice and do it. Really tough for him to do, but he went and did it and he got what it was he was looking for. He's healed just like that. Verse 15, and he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him, and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. So he's returned now, so relieved and happy that he got the healing that he's looking for, was looking for, that he's returned to the person who helped him out, gave him the healing, Elijah, I'm sorry, Elisha. Uh, and he's saying something. He's telling him he knows there's no God but the God that um, uh, that he's, he that provided that healing for him. Um, and here, God is being translated from the word Elohim. He's not saying Lord. Um, he's saying God. And then, so in my mind, I would think of that as uh, since we know Lord, and it's just the English word for whatever, like we've gone over again, whatever entity entity it is people are worshiping at the time, it can get translated to Lord. Uh, but in this case, he's saying specifically God. So I think what he's saying, um, I don't know the way it makes sense to me, is I think what he's saying is regardless of whatever religion it is that he worships, his people worship, or um, whatever religion it is that uh, the people of Israel worship, he knows that he believes God Almighty, the one, the all, uh, is who has made this healing for him this day. At least that's the way it seems so far. But um, it says, in if we look back a little, like in verse 11 at the translation of the word Lord, when he was sort of going off and on what um, on how he felt he was being treated, God was still being translated, even though it's a capital G from the word Elohim. But the word Lord, in all caps here, was being translated in verse 11 from the same word or name 
Jehovah, um, however you choose to pronounce it. I know different people pronounce it different ways, but that's, it looks like it's spelled Jehovah uh, in the original translation, um, or Yehovah, I should say, excuse me. Um, so anyway, um, so that's where we are now with uh, Naaman the Syrian. He's gotten his healing, and um, he's returned to give glory to God with an offering with the um remember because he took some um gifts with them some tribute some offerings with them in the first place and hoping to get the healing now he's gotten it let's see um verse 16 but he said as the lord lives before whom i stand i will receive nothing and he urged him to take it but he refused so now um elisha's letting him know thanks but no thanks uh uh, he's not going to accept any gift for the work, the thing he's done. Uh, unlike modern preachers, who that's almost a requirement that you show up with some gift in hand, generally money, to even show up for their services. Verse 17, so Naaman said, Then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. So now um, Naaman is so moved, who wouldn't be, by his healing, his miraculous healing and relief from his um, disease, that he wants to at least take some of the very ground that he's basically saying he considers it holy ground, from the way I'm understanding it, to take back with him to his own land, his own people. Um, and he's saying he's not going to make any more sacrifices to his own um, God's his own religion basically he's being converted verse 18 um, but I say that carefully because remember he hasn't been introduced to any of the religion of um, the people he's um, interacting with here only the power uh, verse 18 yet in this thing may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the temple of Ramon to worship there and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Ramon. When I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. So now the um, the Syrian Naaman is saying, well, um, I'm recognizing that God Almighty that you put me in touch with provided my healing, but I'm getting ready to go back home, and where I'm going, people worship in a different way. Uh, we have a different national religion here. It's not secular. Uh, it's this or it's that. We worship this way. And when I get back there, I have to do this. He's basically letting him know he's going to go back into what's considered idolatry or worshiping other gods, uh, the other religion that he knows didn't provide healing for him. But he is going to go right back in the lockstep worship of that because it's what's expected of him and it's what his own society does, even though he knows another source of power is what provided him relief. Does that sound familiar? It's exactly like how Bible-thumbing Christians are in modern times. They will read the red letters right here from Jesus' own mouth. Well, not here in this case, but, you know, like we've gone over before with our readings. Ignore completely what Jesus himself has to say about any given topic and embrace what whomever else has to say and still, still feel like, oh, that's righteous. God will understand. That's the same thing he's saying there. Pray that God will understand that I'm still going to be taking part in this idolatry, this um, false religion, uh, taking part in what I know is not you, 
Um, tell God to look the other way on that. Um, can you see to that? That's what he's asking him. Verse 19, and he said to him, go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. So Elijah is basically letting him know peace, whatever. That's on you. That's your walk with God. That's your understanding with God. How would you feel, though? Think about it. How would you feel if you did something like that for someone, helped somebody out that way, something so huge, helped deliver them from something that was tormenting them enough that they were willing to travel to go get relief from it, travel with riches attached with them to give away, to get relief from it, and you helped them out. And then they turn around and give the credit to someone else and say, oh, well, I'm still going to go ahead and call these people the ones who gave me the help. Because that's what he's doing. He's going back home and saying, this is God. I'm worshiping. This is God. But in his heart, in reality, he knows that that's not who gave him help. It's the God that he, at least the God he went and sought that gave him help. Similarly, people do the same thing. They will ignore what is righteous and what they know to be real their lying eyes and embrace a lie what they know is not real and think that they're being righteous and doing so and that god will understand maybe god will maybe not we'll see verse 20 so then so now the syrian naaman's gone on about his business verse 20 but jihazi the servant of elisha the man of god said look my master has spared naaman this syrian while not receiving from his hands what he brought but as the lord lives i will run and i will run after him and take something from him so jihazi is not having it with the uh freebies he's like no 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 you aren't gonna come here as a foreigner and use our resources tap into our power our profit and get relief from your ailments then go without leaving anything so he's like well i'm gonna go ahead and help myself to some of that booty that he came here to bring since elisha didn't want it i'll go ahead and get some so he's gone to go chase him down verse 21 so jihazi pursued naaman when naaman saw him coming running after him he got down from the chariot to meet him and said it's all well so jihazi's gone in a greedy moment to go help himself to some of the uh riches that naaman the syrian had on him naaman still with uh a right heart has gotten down from his chariot to make sure everything's okay since he sees the servant of the person who helped him out um the person who was instrumental in helping him out approaching him naaman sees jihazi and now they're um communicating verse 22 and he said all is well my master has sent me saying indeed just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments so this, that's the best story that jihazi could come up with um when he's he's blinded by the greed that's the best story he could come up with when he's chased down naaman the syrian who's gone on about his business happy that he's relieved from his misery and his disease he's chased him down and told him that his boss elisha has suddenly got house guests sons of the prophets so they're holy people they're religious folks they're visiting and he didn't happen to have any provisions for them on their way so now that they're there who knew the things they would need are oh silver and money i'm sorry silver and clothing he's telling him send us some silver to take back to the visiting prophets and some changes of clothing give us some um 
garments to take back. So that lets us know when Sarah, when Naaman went to go get help from Elisha, he didn't just show up with silver and gold. Apparently, he also showed up with a wardrobe of clothing also, and also some precious metals, the silver that Naaman wants, to, um, that Jehazi wants to go help himself to. So how does uh, Naaman answer? Verse 23. So Naaman said, please take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and handed them to two of his servants and they carried them on ahead of him. So this lets us know a couple of things. It's an abundance. He's given him two talents. They must be heavy for him to have um, to be for them to have to be carried by uh, more of his own of his servants rather than Jihazi just being able to take them and turn and go with them. But also uh, the changes of clothing, the garments, also probably pretty cumbersome. He's given him a lot. He's um, given him just what he asked for freely. That's where Naaman's heart is because he's still glad he got that healing, I would think. Um, and Jihazi's happy too because now he's gotten uh, some of those um, goods. Verse 24, when he came to the citadel, he took them from their hand and stored them away in the house. Then he let them go and they departed. So now Jihazi's gotten the booty and sent the two servants away, figurative booty, sent the two servants away um, and stored away the silver and the changes of garment at his own house. He didn't take them back to Elisha. He took them back to his own house and called it a day. And there are no visiting sons of the prophets that he's waiting to share them with, I'm guessing. Let's see. Verse 25. Now, he went in and stood before his master, Elisha. Uh, let's do this something. Let me see. Now, he went in and stood before his master. Elisha said to him, where did you go, Jehazi? And he said, your servant did not go anywhere. So now, <laughs> Elisha, so ready and attentive, so... Um, uh, in touch with what's going on, because he is a seer, like Elijah was, uh, a prophet, he knows that Jehazi's been up to some mischief. So he's questioning him, like, where you been? Where you, what's up? And Jehazi's like, I ain't been nowhere. So let's see how he responds to that. Verse 26, then he said to him, did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing? olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants. So now, something, I just picked up on something I had never noticed before in the Bible uh, about this verse. So let's take it bit by bit. So now he's busted, for one, Jehazi, because Elisha questioned him about it, knowing what he'd already done, already knowing what he'd done. So he's telling him, um, did not my heart go with you? That part there tells me, or at least it reminds me of, what Jesus says in um, the Gospels about when two people passed away, the rich man and Lazarus. The, uh, the rich man died and was buried, according to Jesus. Lazarus was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Well, um, what's in your bosom but your heart? Your heart is in your bosom. So I think when we read it there, like I was saying, when it says Abraham's bosom, it could be saying literally his bosom as in, he was carried to the embrace of Abraham, greeting him basically in the hereafter, or it could be figuratively where he was carried 
the, the poor man, Lazarus, was carried after he died to Abraham's bosom, figuratively, the place in Abraham's heart that was dear to him, that salvation, that utopia, that heaven. I think that that's, uh, that's what that reminds me of. And that's what he's saying there. I think that's what he's saying there. Did not my heart go with you? He's not saying literally his physical heart, his cardiac organ jumped out of his body and followed him. He's saying his heart, where his heart is, God, the almighty, the hereafter, the divine, that guidance, that spirit went after him and saw him, followed him when Jihazi turned back to enrich himself and get what it is that Naaman the Syrian had on him. I think that's what Elijah, Elisha is saying there about his heart is what turned back and witnessed what Elisha did. I'm sorry, what Naaman did. I'm sorry, what Jehazi did in enriching himself with what Naaman had brought with him. And then the last part of that verse is he's asking him, is that what's up? Is it time to enrich yourself now to get your third mansion, your sixth car, your fourth property? Is that what's up? Like you see these modern churches do, uh, at least in what's called Christianity with these televangelists and these evangelicals preaching everything except the gospel, everything except what Jesus says, preaching everything that's just like what Jihazi's doing, going after people who are desperate and who happen to have money because they, and they're ready to part with it because they're looking for help. Finding people like that and lightening their load of the money, uh, but enriching yourself with it, letting that be your goal. Is that what it's time for? That's what he's questioning. Uh, Jihazi is saying, is that what's up? That's when we get there. I didn't know that that's the game we're playing, that it's time to go for it and get all that you can. Verse 27, therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence leprous as white as snow. So um, just like that, what reads like a curse, even though it's not verbatim called a curse, Elisha has put the disease or declared the disease to be attached now to his own servant, Jehazi, because of his greed and his covetousness and his um, what he did in, in, in taking advantage of someone who's sick and needing help, who happens to have money, so they're able to get uh, to go out and freely seek that help. Um, but the money wasn't bringing the help and the money wasn't instrumental in getting the help. And in him going and sort of polluting it with his greed and intervening, he could have just as easily asked if he humbled himself like the Syrian did. He could have humbled himself and asked the Syrian, would you mind giving me something? Since I know you were willing to give it to my master, would you mind giving me something? I need it. My master does it, but I can do it. He could have just humbled himself and did that. Instead, he used the lie and used religion as a lie because he said the sons of the prophets were visiting and used the connection of religion through Elisha as a lie to the person, a foreigner, and it pollutes that. And it's, it's maybe that's all tied into him being able, uh, being having to bear the responsibility of the sickness that was um, originally on the Syrian, the foreigner who came to this people for help um, and then having someone of the people represented so badly with a lie that way. Maybe that was all part of that sort of instant karma that's, seems to be dished, doled out to um, 
Jihazi. And the last part of it, it says he's leprous as white as snow. I thought the leprosy, um, and I think you, if you search it yourself, you'll see, like I said, leprosy takes many different forms. One of them is those spots like a leper, but it can also take other terrible forms. Also like um, tumors and things breaking out, open sores and such on people's skin. Um, and in this case, it's, it's saying he's gonna his leprosy will appear like impetigo, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, the same sort of uh, vitiligo, like um, like you saw, if you may remember, Michael Jackson had, or at least said he had, or allegedly had, uh, that same sort of skin disease where it makes your skin look different colors, like a cow, sort of, um, uh, like that. So in his case, in the case of Jihazi, that's the cost of his greed, it seems. He's been having to be burdened with the leprous skin disease that's going to make him look as white as snow. So that makes it sound like it's not just he's going to, he's gone from being brown or dark skinned uh, Middle Eastern to now suddenly, or olive skinned um, uh, Mediterranean uh, to now pale and pasty looking. Um, I don't think it's like that. I don't think that's what it means. I think it means, it doesn't mean he's going to miss his tan. It means he's going to look sort of like an albino might look is um so that it's obvious he's got something going on with his disease he's going to have to carry the same sort of stigma that um naaman the syrian had to carry that had him looking to another people for help and um and actually was a way to get him as a foreigner in the big picture of things to see that there is a a, a way to get to the almighty to find god uh, but it may not be through your own people. And um, uh, Rahman, the God you're going to go serve when you get back home, but it may actually be through seeking God through another people, a foreign people, finding Christ that way. Like I've said before, I think that that's what, um, uh, what one of Christ's parables was about with the parable of the sower and uh, the seed being planted in many different places, many different ways, the seed of faith to know that there is a God through many different ways, through, through different religions, through um, agnosticism even, people who don't even believe that there is a God, but still getting the glimpse of the knowledge that there is a God through many different ways, and then having the option to find Christ, to find salvation, as we Christians believe it to be through Christ, um, um, having that option at crossroads before everyone at some point, no matter what religion or non-religion they may have experienced to that point where they get the option. At least that um, seems to me to be the path um, that's laid out for a lot of people as we walk through life here. That was the last verse though. So that's where we'll end this reading. Thank you as always for joining me for The Naked Truth. I hope you'll join me again. I hope it's a blessing for you. I love you. I'll see you next time. Peace be with you.